Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. You can follow along in your Bible, not your booklet, since we didn't get them printed, and up here on the screen. I encourage you to follow along, and I'm going to have a number of other texts that I'll be bringing up. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. And they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. We're going to put a symbol up here on the screen. Who's ever seen this symbol before? Everybody seen this, right? Some of us might even have it on our car. And This is, of course, a symbol that Christians have used from the earliest days. It's a fish symbol. And on one level, we can look at it and understand it immediately. Why did Christians have a fish symbol? Can anybody think of a reason why? The the fish, yeah, we're fishers of men. Remember, that's what he had told the disciples. You're all to be fishers of men. So the fish symbol became one. And what would be another reason why the fish symbol was very popular? Because of our very text today. In early text, they would sometimes have the fish symbol and there would be bread and fishes being multiplied. It was a very common thing. But this symbol has a lot more going on. I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, what does ixoyi mean? Because I couldn't 
figure out what it was. I had no idea what ixoi was. Uh, and I've now learned that, of course, that's a Greek word. It's the Greek word ichthus, which is the word for fish. But it's also an acronym, because if you take those letters lined out, what they mean is, and I've got it written up here, Jesus Christus Theu Huias Soter, which means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so in one little symbol, Christians could write it, and it was a sign that we are Christians, we are followers of Christ. It was a reminder that we, uh, we, Jesus is the one who did the fish and the loaves. It was a reminder that we are called to be fishers of men, but it was a reminder of who Jesus is. All in one little simple symbol, they often didn't even have to write ichthus on it to do that. Now I bring this up today because like this symbol, our text has one meaning that's very obvious and you can kind of see and everybody can pick up. But the more you look at it, the more layers of meaning there are. And so people are very familiar with this text from today. If you went to church as a young child or you had your kids go to church, this is one of the early stories they learn. And kids love to hear about Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves. Uh, but I'm going to show you today, Mark is telling the story in a very specific way to actually point something out that we may not have recognized at first, and that is that Jesus is actually the good shepherd. That's really a central point in this text. So we're going to dive in and look at it. Now the first thing is understanding that Mark wants us to know that the shepherd gives the sheep rest. So Notice in verse 30, we're back to where we were looking a couple of weeks ago. The disciples had been sent out, you remember, on a tour, and they were, they were ministering. They were preaching the word. They were driving out demons. They were healing the sick. And we saw, you know, then they, the way Mark does it, he sandwiched it together with the story of that debauched banquet of King Herod. And then at the end, he said, well, the disciples came back. And that's where we're picking up. The disciples came back from this very uh, intense time of ministry and notice, however, when they come back, the crowds are flocking to them. And it's actually uh, uh, interesting to note in the text, it's no longer just they were flocking to him, meaning Jesus. They're actually flocking because now the disciples' fame is starting to spread. People have been hearing what was going on because they were off in all these villages. And they're flocking to them, and they're doing it in such a way there's so many people coming and going, we're told, that they could not even get a chance to eat. Now, you may remember earlier in Mark chapter 3, as Jesus' fame was spreading, the same exact thing happened. Mark had said there were so many people coming and going, they couldn't even get a chance to eat. That's when Jesus' family came to get him because they thought he had lost his mind, okay? Same thing is happening here, but notice what Jesus says. When they come and this is happening, he said, I want you to come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. As the good shepherd, Jesus knows they need rest, both physical rest and spiritual rest. And so he's calling them off to what the NIV has translated as the quiet place. I've mentioned this a lot in the Gospel of Mark. This is a Greek word that's really important. It's a word, eremos, which means it's often translated wilderness. It can mean desert. It can mean a lonely place or a quiet place. It can mean any of those things. So you could talk about the Sahara 
as an Eremos. You could talk about going in the woods behind your house as an Eremos. It even could be just a little room that we're off by yourself. It's a word with a broad range of meanings, and Mark loves that because he gets to use them all. And we're going to kind of see all of them used in this text. And here, because he's going to use it in verse 31, verse 32, because the, the same word, they went to a solitary place, same word. And then we're going to see later, he calls it a remote place, same word. But the key idea is you need to get away because the shepherd's telling the flock, you need rest, physical and spiritual. Now, this is pretty interesting because in our culture, when your fame starts to spread, what do you need to do right then? I mean, yeah, capitalize, double down on it, strike the iron while it's hot, uh, because you're, you're a hot topic, you're a hot item right now, and Jesus says, no, that's actually not what you need. And if you actually look at it in the culture, a band puts out an album, they become popular, what's the clamor? Put out another album really quick, and how good is that other album? It's usually awful. <laughs> Future years, people are like, that was a bad idea. But it's because we had to strike the iron while it's hot. With authors, everybody wants to do that. Jesus is saying that's not the priority. The priority is you need rest. And so he's telling them to go off and do it. Now, this is an important concept because we all need spiritual and physical rest. And our good shepherd knows and understands that. We sometimes in our culture are so defined by what we do and how hard you work. I mean, and this is a huge issue in America. I'm not going to spend much time on this today, but when you ask people how they're doing, what is probably the number one response? I'm busy, man. I'm tired. Yeah, there's so much going on. And we do that because if I'm not busy, it means I'm not really important. But see, that's not true. You're important because Jesus made you, and he made you in his image. So if you want to point it out, we're human beings, not human doings, okay? Your, your value is from who you are, not what you do, because let me assure you, if you and I go off to an Eremos and sit and rest, the entire universe will just keep on going. It's amazing how that works. You and I sleep, and the whole universe keeps going. And so our shepherd understands that. We are not machines. We have a real bad tendency in our culture. We have taken things that we have made and we're putting ourselves into their image. So we've created machines, we've created technology, and we use metaphors, and metaphors matter. God nowhere says we're machines. Nowhere in the scripture. We're sheep. We're people, we're, we're his sons and daughters, we're, we're in his hands. He may even use like a plant as a metaphor. Nowhere does God say, thou art like a machine. And you know why he doesn't say that? Because we're not. We are not like machines. Machines can just keep going. They don't have to stop. They just keep working. We are not that way. We are created in such a way that we need daily and weekly times of rest and, and, and withdrawal. And we also periodically need extended times of that. Have you noticed in, in culture, I mean, we, we celebrate vacation. And once again, America is 
kind of, we're down on that. We, we don't give ourselves much. This is one of the things the Lord spoke to me. I'm not just preaching to you. In sabbatical last year, I was meditating and realizing, I think in 29 years, I've used all my vacation at the church once. That's not a good thing. That is, that is not, I'm, I'm confessing to you, and I'm trying to make sure I do not continue that into the future. That's not faithfulness. It's actually unfaithfulness. And so the text is letting us know when disciples don't follow the rhythm of Jesus to regularly withdraw for physical and spiritual rest and refreshment, what happens is they burn out and usually they fall into sin or despair. This is, this is one of the things you see. There are so many guys who do what I do for a living and then we watch them crash and burn and fall. And one of the reasons is they simply get worn out because you got to strike the iron while it's hot. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You need to go to the Eremos. And if you don't, you can predict catastrophic consequences in the future. We should learn from our shepherd. So that's the first thing. The shepherd gives the sheep rest. But secondly, he does this because the shepherd has compassion for the sheep. So notice, they've gotten in a boat and they're going away. But of course, as they've done throughout the Gospel of Mark, do the crowds ever get with the program with Jesus? Remember from the very first time we, we read about Jesus going off to the Eremos, he got up and went off to a lonely place to pray. Remember, even the disciples were clueless as to what he was doing. The crowds are constantly pressing around. So it's not a surprise. They get in the boat and the people figure out where they're going and they're running around the lake and they're waiting on Jesus and the disciples when he gets there. The crowds follow. But interestingly, it appears if you read this text close, the disciples are kind of annoyed. Okay? Jesus is not. When he sees the crowd going there, they're not following what, what, what he knows is the disciples need at the moment. But what does he see? He, he sees a group. We're told he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's what they are. And Jesus has compassion on sheep. On one level, let me tell you, it's not the most flattering thing that God says you and I are sheep. Not the brightest animals. They're certainly not, you know, sheep need shepherd because what defenses do they have? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> there, is, there is no defense for sheep other than the shepherd. But on the other hand, the good news is Jesus has compassion on sheep. And that's us. And so he's got compassion on them. And we're told because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now we can roll by that. But actually, this is a phrase drawn from the Old Testament. And it's used many times. I'm going to bring up just two of them this morning to show these layers. We're going down. We've seen, okay, that's a fish symbol. Like I, well, we're, we're going to go down a layer now. Sheep without a shepherd. One of the first times it's used is in the book of Numbers. Numbers 27, uh, verses 15 to 18, Israel is in the wilderness. They're in the Eremos. And Moses knows he's going to be dying soon. And he's concerned for the people. And he says, uh, he says to the Lord, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. 
Notice the same phrase, okay, that Mark has used here. And so Moses is concerned. We're in the wilderness, same word, we're out there. This could be a real danger if they don't have people. And so then we're told in verse 18, so the Lord said to Moses, take who? Joshua. Here's a freebie for you. What, what, is, uh, what, what is Jesus' name? Joshua. It's the same name. Yehoshua is Hebrew. Jesus, Jesus is Greek. It is the same name. So I want you to notice the people are in the Eremos. They are in the wilderness. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And who's going to be the shepherd for them? Joshua, Jesus, who's going to lead them from the wilderness to where? The promised land. You can take that and meditate on it for a while. But Mark is picking this up and letting us know that. He wants us to see the people of Israel there on the, on the, the bank. Jesus is looking and saying, I've seen this before. This is exactly what it was like when Israel was in the wilderness. Now, there's another time that this text is used. Again, it's used many times. But when they were in exile in the book of Ezekiel, a very similar phrase is used. And in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is prophesying because the people are in exile. And there's a particular problem if you look in the, the first six verses. And the problem is that the shepherds who are supposed to be caring for the sheep are not caring for the sheep. He says that uh, the sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. So notice what God is saying. I'm speaking to the people who were called to be shepherds, which are the priests and the kings of Israel, but did they do their job? Now, instead of feeding the flock, they're eating the flock. You can think, we'll, we'll take your milk and we'll make curds. We'll take your wool and make clothing. We will slaughter you and eat you. But sheep are a lot of trouble and we ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. And the Lord says, I'm watching and you're in trouble. And they are scattered into the exile. So they were Sheep without a shepherd in the exile was them going back out of the promised land back into the wilderness. And the Lord says, you, you are a scattered flock because you haven't had a shepherd. And so Mark is saying, do you see Israel is still in the wilderness? Israel is still out in exile, even though they may have come back to the promised land, but they are still an exile people. And and they're in the same place they were in Ezekiel's day. Because as we've read through the Gospel of Mark, are the priests and the scribes shepherding the people? No, you, you remember last time there were crowds coming like this was the incident where the scribes were saying, hey, this guy's casting out demons by the spirit of Satan. That's how he's doing it. Beelzebub is the one that's in him. And Jesus has to say, hey, you can, you can say anything you want about me or anybody, but you speak against the Holy Spirit, it's an eternal sin. Okay? That's the, the shepherds. Well, the other shepherds are the kings. We just read about King Herod. What kind of a shepherd is he being? 
See, the picture, don't, don't miss this, the king who's supposed to be caring for the people is having a debauched feast. I won't go back into all of that disgusting stuff we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But while he's feasting, where the sheep are out in the wilderness, and what do they have? Nothing. It's just like it was in Ezekiel's day. But notice what happens. Ezekiel continues on as you move through chapter 34. And down in verses 11 and 12, the sovereign Lord says, I will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he was with them, so I will look after my sheep. I'm going to gather them and care for them. And then down in verses 23 and 24, as he continues, the whole chapter is about this. He says, I'm going to place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Is he talking about the King David who had been dead for hundreds of years by this point? Who's he talking about? The Messiah. Do you see? And Mark is wanting us to see this. See, Jesus is looking, and the sheep are scattered in the wilderness like they were in Moses' day when Joshua was raised up, like they were in the time of the exile when Ezekiel was doing it. And Mark is saying, do you see? God has raised up Joshua. God has raised up David. It is Jesus. And he's gathering the flock. And he's feeding them. And he is caring for for them. Mark wants us to see that right then and there. Because see, the people of God have often been like sheep without a shepherd. And that's why the Messiah had to come to shepherd us. It's a central point. Now, let me just as a sideline say real quick before we move on, this is another massive problem in the modern church. So many pastors today, so I get all these news feeds for pastors, and they are all about how I can lead our church like a business. Is, is that what my call is? You know what that is at the end of the day? I can get your milk, I can take your wool, I can eat your meat, but I don't care for you. You're just a cog in my wheel. You're a brick in my wall. Make no mistake, that's exactly what that is. The call of elders in the church is not just to be teachers. As important as teaching is, and we're going to see it's the very first thing Jesus does, it is essential. It's not just to be leaders and vision casters. It's to be shepherds. And we don't like that in the modern church because shepherding is inherently inefficient. And our holy virtue is efficiency, which I might point out is never called a virtue in the Scripture anywhere. I might point out that promising from Genesis 3.15 forward that I'm going to send my son to take flesh and live for 33 years and this whole process is going to take thousands of years is not the most efficient means of redemption. It just happens to be the one that God liked, which might be a clue to us. So I want to urge you and encourage you, as I always do, never settle for somebody just to stand up here and be a teacher that's not a shepherd. Never settle for somebody who's, they've got vision. Because at the end of the day, you'll be burned. Look for shepherds. Because we are sheep, not machines. Last point that Mark brings out here regarding the shepherd is the shepherd feeds the sheep. He gives them rest, he has compassion on them, and he feeds them. So notice, 
We're told in verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began teaching them many things. It's pretty interesting. I would have assumed there was going to be something else would have been the next thing, but notice the very first thing. They are sheep, they're without a shepherd, and so what do I do? I start teaching them the word of God. Because in God's estimation, the greatest need we have is the word of God. Primary, most important thing. I I could point out, if you remember, there's a time in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus was in the wilderness and he was hungry and Satan says, why don't you turn stones to bread? And what does Jesus say? Because man does not live on, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Quoting from Israel in the wilderness in the Old Testament where God gave them manna every day and said, but I'm doing that to teach you. You don't live by the manna. You live by the word that comes out from my mouth. And so the shepherd here looks and says, the greatest need these wandering sheep have is the word. And so he teaches them the word. The primary means that God uses to give us rest, to shepherd and care for us, to gather the scattered flock, is the word of God. It's not any other thing. And if we don't have the Word, we have nothing. But if we have the Word of God, we may be missing all kinds of other things. What is essential is that we are fed the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, you and I need it every day. We need it every week as we gather. And then we need even extended time sometimes where we just sit down and let the Word soak into us. Essential. But secondly, of course, as Jesus is doing this, and you got to kind of picture what the disciples are feeling a little bit. We thought we were getting away, and now the crowds are here. And then you preach, and apparently not a 30-minute sermon. This goes on for quite some time. And they're looking around at the crowd, and there's a problem. And what is the problem? Uh, we're in the wilderness, There's no food, and there's not a 7-Eleven out here, Jesus. What are we supposed to do? You need to send these people away. There's no food because we are, remember, Lord, you took us out to the Eremos, this wilderness place, this remote place. There is no food. So you need to send these people away. Here's the next point in your sermon, Jesus. Go away. Okay? And then Jesus, I would have loved to have been there. What's Jesus' response? Hey, here's an idea. You feed them. Now, tracking as we have in Mark's gospel, what resource do we realize is there? Uh, Jesus. I mean, we've already seen it, right? You're in a raging storm. Are you in trouble? No, because Jesus is in the boat. A guy with a legion of demons that you can't even keep a chain on him? Nobody can, are you in trouble? No, because Jesus is there. Woman who's been sick for 12 years, nobody can heal her? No, you're not in trouble. Jesus is there. Girl has died. Are you in trouble? No, Jesus is there. So what should the disciples say at this point? Lord, we can't, but we know you can But the disciples are like us. And so 
what do we do? Even if we've been in the boat and Jesus has stilled the storm, what do we do? We are, we are clueless. That was yesterday, Lord. What about today? And so the disciples are like, what? And, and you also have to remember, they might have even pointed out, this might be in the back of their mind, Lord, we don't have anything because remember we just came back from a trip where you told us we couldn't even take an extra pair of shoes. We couldn't take any money with us. And now there's all of this crowd here and you're telling us to feed them. But see, Jesus then says, go out and find what you have. And he's not doing this. You know, this has sometimes been turned into, oh, because we know from John's gospel, a little boy had the five loaves and the two fish. And we turn it into a moralistic lesson, right? Oh, Jesus wants you to share your lunch. Okay, well, he does. That has nothing to do with the text. Why does he make them count up what they have? Okay, we got 5,000, and the Greek is clear, it's 5,000 men. That doesn't even include the women and children, and John tells us that specifically. But the word here is not the word just for humans in general. It's 5,000 males. And you're looking at five loaves and two fish. How far is that going to make it? Yeah, Lord, that's not getting through the first two rows here. We got a problem. And, and the whole reason Jesus is doing that is he wants them to understand. He's trying to help the disciples understand. This is, this is not up. I just sent you out with nothing to teach you that God is your supply. Well, you're going to find out again, God is your supply. You cannot feed a people in the wilderness, but God can. So notice he moves on, and we're told that Jesus feeds the sheep. And I love verse 39. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the what? Now, when you hear that they're in the Eremos, the wilderness, and you picture Israel, what do you not picture being there? Green grass. But it's really interesting. John points out there's a lot of green grass there, telling us it's because it's right before Passover. And again, the word Eremos can mean Death Valley, it, can, it could be the Central Valley of California where you're, it just means you're out away from things. But I want you to get the picture is, can you remember another time where a shepherd is going to make his sheep lie down in green grass and he's going to feed? Do you see what Mark's doing? I mean, what a strange note of all the things. He could have just said he made them sit down. But Mark is wanting us to connect and see the shepherd is caring for the sheep. And it doesn't matter if you're in the wilderness. When the shepherd makes you lie down, there'll be green grass there. You will have what you need, even in the wilderness. And then Jesus takes the bread and he gives thanks. And this is very common, what was in, Jeru in Judaism. He probably said the old prayer, you know, blessed art thou, O Lord God, King of the universe, who gives forth bread for us to eat, okay, is probably what Jesus does. But he takes it and he breaks it and he spreads it out. And I love that this whole buildup, all the conversation back and forth, and it's so understated when it comes time to the miracle. It's not like in bold letters, you know. And, and the food multiplied out. And let me explain to you scientifically how that happened. Mark just says, he just broke the bread and gave it, and it just kept giving, and it kept giving, and it kept giving, and pretty soon, 5,000 men plus women and children had eaten. They didn't get just a morsel. They ate so much, they were fully satisfied, and what did he have the disciples do? Because he's, he's pointing this out to them. 
take the baskets, each of you fill up, and, and he shifted words. This is a, a large basket, and they are overflowing. And I don't even have time. Think about the difference between this and when God provided manna in the wilderness, because what could you not do with manna? You couldn't keep it till the next day. But see, this is better than manna, because you can pick it up, and you can keep the scraps. I mean, this is another level, okay, thinking through like the fish symbol. Mark's got all of these illusions going on, and this is so essential and amazing. And see, what Mark is wanting us to see is in Psalm 78, Psalm 78 is a, a psalm that goes through the history of Israel, and when it has Israel in the wilderness, in Psalm 78, 19, there is this huge question where the people ask, can God spread a table in the wilderness? And what's the answer? You got it right here. Jesus says, yes, he can. I can spread a table in the wilderness. I can spread such a table that my sheep will be lying down in green pastures. They'll be near, near still waters. They will eat so much until they say, we don't even need any more, Lord. And there is left over. All of that is there in the text for us. So how do we apply this and, and we're going to come to the Lord's table? The big question for us that this text wants to, to speak to us about is are we wandering like sheep without a shepherd? Are we wandering without sheep without a shepherd? Because, friends, as I think that, that is an apt description of our age. You know, it, in markets that they were going to and fro. It's like a marketplace. There's all of this activity, but all the activity is there because they're sheep without a shepherd. They're not lying down. They're not calm. They're rushing to and fro. And in our age, that is exactly what we are doing. We are rushing true to and fro. We're seeking fulfillment, but we are never satisfied. That is, that could be written over our culture and our age. We rush to and fro and we try to find satisfaction in money and possessions. We try to find it in unfettered choice that I can be what I want to be, I can do what I want to do, and nobody can tell me otherwise. We try to find it in hedonism, which is exactly what King Herod was doing. Whatever pleasure I can think of, I want to experience it, and I want to experience it now. Or we can go to the other side, and we try it in asceticism. Hedonism didn't work, so now I'll, I'll punish my body, and I'll do everything to try and, and put my body under. We try to find it in work. We try to find it in entertainment. You name it, we are trying it all, but at the end of it, you could not write as Mark did that they were satisfied because none of those things will satisfy. But here's good news to we wandering sheep. Jesus looks and is not disgusted, as dumb as it is. We all know, right, you when we realize I've been running around and I've been doing this and I look in the mirror, what do I think? Man, you are such a dolt. The good news is Jesus looks and says, I have compassion on that wandering sheep. I will gather them. I will care for them. I will feed them. But he calls us in that moment and says, stop wandering. You're not going to find it in all of that. You're, you're not, you, you are out in the wilderness, but I'll give you a green place to lie down.
I'll give you food. I'll give you water. I'll give you everything you need. Not because of what you've done, but simply because I love you and have compassion on you. In our age, we need to hear that. If you're not a believer, I want to urge you, hear and receive that. You are, it is not a question of whether you worship. It's just a question of what or who you worship. The Lord is saying, come and I will give you rest. St. Augustine, thousands of years ago, wrote that prayer when he was going through the confession, showing all of the places he had wandered like a lost sheep. And he said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That's exactly what the Lord is saying this morning. Come find rest. Now, that's true whether I'm an unbeliever needing to hear and respond to the gospel, but how many of you know that even after we come to Jesus, see, when we first come, it's like, Lord, I'll never wander again. And what does the Lord say? Oh, yeah, hang on. You're going to read a story about Peter who promised he would never leave me, and he would be bold and fight for me until like a 12-year-old girl showed up. Then he would run. See, that's the way we are, and the Lord realizes that. Even as a believer, I can wander. But the good news is this morning, our shepherd wants to give us rest. He wants to care for us. He's done this as we've gathered today. You know, like Tony said earlier today, just gathering and singing God's praise, praying together, being in fellowship with one another, all of those things. As we open God's word together, I, I hope and pray and trust that as I've been sitting here and opening the word of God, God is feeding your soul. That's what he has done for us. But there's one more way he wants to feed us. And it's one more thing in this text. Did you catch in the text the words that were used to describe Jesus giving the food? Again, Mark could have just said, and Jesus miraculously expanded the fish and loaves, but that's not how Mark puts it. Notice what he says, and I'm going to give you Mark 6, 41, and then Mark 14, 22, and notice the four verbs in each verse. Taking five loaves, two fish, giving thanks, breaking, giving. Anybody ever heard those verbs before? Every Sunday when we come to this table, because notice in Mark 14, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it. Mark is using those verbs, and we know in John's gospel, John presents the entire thing as the Eucharist, the meal, where Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh, and you have to drink my blood, or you have no life in you. That's exactly what Mark is doing. The miraculous feeding is a preview of the Lord's table, where the good shepherd comes, and he feeds his flock. And the good news is, again, you may be here and say, man, my life recently has been an eremos. I, I didn't even know that Greek word. I couldn't spell it. But I get, I've been out in the wilderness. It's been dry. It's been tough. It's been difficult. And the Lord says, come to me. I can give you rest. I will care for you. It doesn't matter where you are because it's not your circumstances that will determine it. It's me being your shepherd 
will determine. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table to receive rest and nourishment and refreshment from our shepherd. But what we're going to do is we're going to begin by reading Psalm 23 together. So if you can stand, we're going to stand up here and we're going to confess this is our shepherd. And I want to encourage you again, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, I I hope Mark's gospel is speaking to you and saying, your circumstances aren't what matters. What matters, if Jesus has come up on the scene, all you need is here because of the good shepherd. So let's confess the word of God together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say amen to that text? Amen. Amen. Let's be seated, and we will be taking... Uh, and coming to the table together, I remind you, you do not have to be a member of our congregation. You have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you understand that he is our shepherd, that it's not based on anything I do, that my, the only thing my works contribute to my salvation is my need for forgiveness and salvation. My works have nothing to do with it because Jesus' work in my behalf is perfect. If you believe and understand that, I encourage you, come and receive from your shepherd. I remind you in a moment when they pass out, after I pray, you'll be taking both cups because one's got the bread and one's got the juice right on top of one another. So now let's come to the Lord's table together. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Lord, each meal we receive is a reminder of your loving care for us and for all you have made. But Lord, in this meal we see and are reminded that through Jesus Christ you have forgiven our sins. You have made us to be your people. You have invited us to your table. 
Lord, because we are the sheep of your pasture, you cause us to lie down in green pastures, even in the wilderness. And Lord, you feed us here, even while our enemies would rage. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sends forth the living bread from heaven, Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Lord, when we thirst, you give us drink to refresh our bodies. But because we are your sheep, you lead us to quiet waters, even in a dry and weary land, slaking the thirst of our souls through Jesus our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us the true vine, our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together and cry out to the Lord for his continuing care and provision. Lord, in the wilderness, you have fed your people time and again, for nothing is too hard for you. Today, your spirit has worked so that we have fed upon the word and we have fed at your table. Now may your spirit guide us in paths of righteousness each day this week. Lord, even if we walk in places of difficulty or danger, may the presence of your rod and your staff be a comfort to us so that we walk with faith-filled boldness as we seek to follow you. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, now and throughout this week, remind us that we are your sheep, that you love us, and that no one and nothing can ever separate us from you. Lord, we ask that you would do all of this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus, the good shepherd who has laid down his life for us. And God's people say, amen. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in each of us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed. Even in the wilderness, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.